Thank you, men. Excellent reminder for us from the Word of God, but also for us where our trust should dwell. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back with me to 1 John chapter 4 this morning. 1 John 4. I don't think it's any surprise to you that uh, we live in a world that is full of all kinds of counterfeits. We could probably say that when it comes to people, although I want you to think for a moment about some of the other arenas. I mean, we're well aware that there is a whole industry out there uh, targeted towards taking money and trying to uh, reproduce it in some way and passing along counterfeit bills uh, in all sorts of ways. Uh, kind of caught me off a little bit off guard as I was researching this week, though, that even beyond the money side, uh, just the world of counterfeit goods is a huge business. Uh, some estimates go up to $600 billion a year in counterfeit goods. Um, probably the one that stood out to me is that uh, they estimate that about 80% of us have handled counterfeit goods in our lifetime without even realizing it. And you start to read, it's all kinds of things from clothing brands to uh, ladies' handbags. Uh, but the one that really caught my attention actually from a news article just a week ago uh, was from England. I mean, this is like a big problem um, because evidently the police made a very significant raid and subsequent bust on a counterfeit chocolate ring, um, confiscating about 100,000 pounds of not 100,000 pounds is in weight, but 100,000 British pounds in money worth of counterfeit chocolate. I thought, man, if they need any help figuring out what's the real thing, I'm available, right? <laughs> to go, that, you know, evidently counterfeiting chocolate is a big deal in Britain. Um, I don't know about here. But, you know, even more significant than that, one of the things I was reading was pointing out that there's this whole industry for counterfeiting, counterfeiting medications, I don't know how that sits with you, but you can counterfeit my chocolate, and I'm probably okay with that. I don't know that I want my medication counterfeited. To go, is this okay? Is this safe? What protocols were in place, and is it a risk? When we come to 1 John chapter 4, there is a warning issued to all believers about counterfeit truth. Far more serious than the implications of counterfeited goods or even counterfeited medication or even the legal implications for us of counterfeited money is what happens, what goes wrong if we buy into counterfeit truth? There are serious repercussions and the Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes to these believers to put them on notice, to get their attention, to call them to watch out my mind as I think about it for us and God leading us to this text today as we've been working our way through the book, I thought how appropriate and how much the need for us today. Uh, we live at a wonderful time where information is distributed at a blinding pace in all kinds of ways. I mean, we can listen to it, we can watch it, we can read it, we can take it in in all kinds of arenas from talking to someone, to watching television, to listening to the radio, to getting emails, to text messages, to going to social media, and on and on it goes. Here's this 
flow of information and what are you going to believe and what are you going to take in and uh, that could be true in all kinds of arenas to go, hey, what, what grocery store are you going to shop at and what are you going to believe medically and what are you going to do financially? But in the midst of what we see today, don't miss how critical it is for you, for me, for all of us to go, what do I believe spiritually? Who do I listen to for truth? Where do I go for authority when it comes to God? Hopefully the answer for us brings us back to the Bible. And even today I've been reminded a number of ways from my own time in God's Word, as perhaps was true for some of you, we'll reference that text later on. From my own time in God's Word to the Sunday school lesson we were talking through in the young adults to even our time today, that we'd better put our finger on the Bible to say, is this what God says? And so again, I'd encourage you as I would every week to go, what you hear from here needs to be what God said here. If it's not, you can throw it away. But to go, is that what God says? We come to the text here, and really we're just going to cover one verse this morning. But look with me again at 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. If I were to summarize where we've been recently in 1 John 3 before getting to this verse today, we could just say it this way, live with confidence. He's writing to Christian believers saying, before God, live with confidence. Experience the assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ. You can come boldly before him in prayer. Your, your heart doesn't need to worry. God can overcome your heart. Have this assurance. Have this confidence. Persist in your obedience to Jesus Christ because you are his child, Right? It's that recurrent theme through chapter 3 to go, hey, you are God's child. Here's how you can distinguish the children of God from the children of the devil. You need to pursue righteousness in Christ's likeness. You need to love others like Christ. But I want you to have this assurance. I want you to be able to live your Christian life with confidence. As we come to chapter 4, we might change the instruction and say it this way, now live with caution. When it comes to you and God, live with confidence before Him. But when it comes to engaging others and what you're hearing, live with caution so that they don't take you away from Jesus, so that they don't lead you away from the true gospel. If it were Sunday night, maybe not Sunday morning, I'd put you on the spot. I won't. And just ask you for feedback. But in your mind, think with me for a moment about how many letters in the New Testament are written to believers saying, hey, watch out, there's error in your midst. No, don't get led away. There's error in your midst. None of us are immune to avoiding that error. Probably the greatest warning for me as I think about the New Testament is the fact that Paul in Galatians had to rebuke the apostle Peter because Peter got it wrong. I mean, right out of the gate in Galatians, Paul's saying... Hey, I marvel that you so soon are removed to another gospel, 
which is not another, and the word that's used there is not another of a same kind, but is another of a different kind. I mean, Paul's mind is blown and says, hey, listen, though we or an angel speak to you this other gospel, he needs to be accursed. He needs to be damned because the truth is that serious. And Peter has bought into a false gospel and it has to be rebuked by Jesus, or by Paul, rather. The error was present for the Galatians. We could go to the Corinthians and see it there. We could go to Romans 16 and see it there. We could go to the little book of Jude and see it there. We could go to First and Second Peter and see it there. We could go to First Timothy and Second Timothy and see it there. We could go to First and Second Thessalonians and see it there. I mean, over and over and over, there are these warnings to go, hey, watch out, error is out there. And so it would be awfully naive for us to assume, well, you know what? I'm good. The books I'm reading, the blogs I'm following, the pictures I'm sharing, that's truth. But to go, hey, watch out. Live with caution while you enjoy this confidence, this assurance in your relationship with God. So we come to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. We begin with a call to attention. A call to attention. John has done a number of times now in his writing. He says, beloved. Beloved. He expresses that care and affection for those he is writing to once more. But he does it with uh, a sense of, hey, listen up. We've referred to it a number of times in our study as him using our first and middle name to go, hey, folks, listen, get this. This needs to be a priority. In fact, I think there's a spirit-inspired recognition of our propensity. You know, we wonder, we drift, we miss things that are important. And it's like, hey, folks, let me focus you right here. This is priority. I understand your propensity to drift, but make sure you get this. And he speaks with love and authority for the truth. Beyond John, certainly, we recognize that the inspiration, the inspired nature of these words means this is important for us. Following the call to attention, we secondly come to the commands of caution. The commands of caution. Very quickly and simply, we're given two commands that are incredibly important. The first command we encounter is a restriction. A restriction. Believe not every spirit. It's a present tense imperative where we're being told to constantly avoid believing every spirit. Watch out. Be on guard. Avoid this. Don't always believe these things. Some are more prone to be gullible than others, are they not? I find my mind going back to different things that I experienced and that others experienced when I was in college. To go, hey, when a fire drill happens, you know, we're supposed to take all the plug-in devices out with us as we go. And you've got freshmen like, okay, it's a little strange. And they're going to the first fire drill in the middle of the night carrying things like, why'd you bring the vacuum? thought that's what we were supposed to do, right? There's a naivety, a, a simplicity. There's not learning, but realize he, here in the text, John is saying everybody needs to do this. Everybody needs to watch out. Everybody should not believe every spirit that's out there. So we'll see just a few words later. This idea of spirit is related to false prophets. 
I believe the way we're meant to understand this is here are people who are coming to say, I have something to say, or God said, or isn't God like, and they are testifying, representing God in a way that is not accurate, that is not true, that is not authoritative. He's told us, and we'll see this more in the next message, but uh, he's told us at the end of chapter 3 that God's put his spirit in you, and so when God's spirit is in you, he's giving truth. He's guiding into truth. In fact, we saw that back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27 and 28 there as well. But here are individuals who are coming along. They're false prophets. They're claiming to speak about God, or they're claiming to speak up from God, and in reality, they're not. And so we're told, be on guard. Do not be believing every spirit that comes and says, oh, well, I have a message from God, or I kind of think God is like it. Again, we live in a day where it's very prevalent for people to go, well, my view of God is kind of like, and I feel like God is, and, or even more directly, I have a word from him, and God told me. We better take that very seriously. I don't have the time to go there this morning. Maybe you can look as I talk or you can write it down and go there later. But I love the text in Jeremiah 23 where God himself goes after the prophets of Israel. Much like Ezekiel 34 where he says he's against the shepherds in Jeremiah 23, God says he's against the prophets because the prophets were to speak God's word to God's people. It was very simple. You are God's prophet you take God's word, and you communicate it to God's people. And he says, these prophets have run, and I didn't send them. They've spoken, and I gave them no word. And he rebukes them and says, look, if you would have just stood in my counsel, then he would have blessed. Then the people would have responded. If you would have just stayed in my counsel, the idea being, if you would have just stayed in my words. But they deviated. They got creative. And now God rebukes them and stands against them. You know, what you and I need is to hear from God through his word. We need that personally when we spend time with God. I'm not against, certainly not against, good published literature that helps us better understand God and his word. You take a visit to my office, you'll understand. I, I enjoy that. But you know what? If we spend more time reading books about God and his word than we do going to the word, we have a problem. Or if we say, you know what? I'm, I'm coming to church, and what I really want to hear is things that will just help me in life, which it's not a bad thing. God does want us to be helped in life. His word gives plenty of instruction. But we don't care. We don't take the time to look and go, isn't what God said? We have a problem. Our biggest need is to hear from God through his word. And the Apostle John warns these believers to say, don't be believing every spirit that comes along. In fact, our next command gives us another related action step to take. The first command is a command of restriction. Believe not every spirit. The second command is an evaluation. Try, or the word is test, the spirits, whether they are of God. Another present tense imperative to be continually trying, continually evaluating, to go, is this from God? This command doesn't just allow us to be continually skeptical and say, so I'm not going to believe anything. Right? I think there are plenty of people today like, oh, you can't know that you know. I, I don't know. We're just going to wander through. And it's like they're trying to leave everything up in the air. 
not nail anything down. That is not what this command is telling us. We need to hear from God. But while we take things in, we don't believe everything. We test everything to go, is that true? Is that from God? This word try means to put to the test to determine genuineness. It's used a number of different places in the New Testament, like in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 is one example to go, you know what, take this and put it to the test to determine if it's genuine. Right? We think about that with maybe money is the most common analogy where we learn these different things with bills as they print or produce a new bill and government says, well, now you can do this and you can look at it this way. There's this color shifting ink or there's this strip that you can see or you can take this UV light or you could take your finger and raise it over and see the raised text, uh, the raised printing on the bill because it's hard and not worthwhile for a counterfeiter to do that. And they give you all these different tests to go, you can decide if this $50 bill or this $100 bill is genuine by looking at these seven points of information along the way. We're being told here, when you hear messages and someone says, this is from God, to put it to the test, to determine, is this genuine? Is this legitimate? Evaluate it. It's interesting, 1 Thessalonians 5 uses this same word, and it's in the context of don't despise prophesying. In other words, in that day, this gift of prophecy goes, someone has a word from God, don't despise that. It's the same text where they're told not to quench the Spirit because they do need to hear from God. But in the middle of that, he says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Right in the middle of those verses, like we kind of sometimes rip that out for like personal applications, but in context... He's saying, hey, you need to hear these words from God, so put to the test to determine genuineness all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. See, I'm going to hold on to that which truly does come from God that is a word from Him. And I'm reminded as we think about this that we do have an enemy, right? We have an enemy who is actively working to deceive and destroy. Who wants to counterfeit the truth? Who wants us to buy into things that are wrong? And so we would do well to take teaching in, to put it to the test. We have some wonderful resources to help us in our evaluation. In fact, this gets built out more in the later verses as we'll see down the road. But let me just remind you simply of two of those tools, two resources God has given us to obey this command. First, we have the word of God. Right? We've already made reference to that. To go, does what I'm hearing line up with the truth that is God has given? Because God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. God has given us all that we need that the man of God would be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. If what I'm hearing is contradictory to the word of God, I need to chuck it. I need to get rid of it. I mentioned our Bible reading. If you're following the church's plan, this morning you read Acts 17, Right? And in Acts 17, after leaving Thessalonica because of the persecution that's going on there, which will follow them to Berea, we're told these words about the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11. Now, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That ought to be the mindset of every believer. To say, you know what, I want to attentively hear the word of God, right? They said, now, these were noble that they received the word with all readiness of mind. My mind is engaged. 
I, I want to hear from God. I need to hear what he has to say. But they're not just listening. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds kind of God-like. That sounds like Bible, right? They didn't stop there. They searched the scriptures daily. Like, they put in the time and effort to go, is that what God said? What ought to challenge us? They didn't live in the 21st century. They didn't live in the days of printers. They didn't even live in the days of the printing press, right? I mean, for them to search the scriptures daily required a whole lot more work than what we do. Like, in a matter of like 0.01 second, you can pull your phone out and go, what's that verse? You can enter a phrase that kind of sounds like it, and it's like, oh, that's Proverbs 23, verse 10. That was hard, right? They actually had to go and say, you know what? We got to go find the copies of the scrolls, or we have a part of a fragment, or we've jotted this down, if they were literate. And we're being told, here are people who are noble. Here are people who are exemplary, because they attentively listened to the word of God. They diligently searched it out to go, is that true? And you know, for us, we far too often settle for, I'm reading a Christian book, and it's kind of a good author, and I've read some of his stuff before, and I kind of trust him, and he just put in quotation marks or parentheses a verse, and I, I didn't take the time to reference it because it sounded like Bible. Watch out. We would do well to take and look that reference up and go, is that what the Word says? Because what we need is not another man's opinion. We need to hear from God. Let me ask you in light of the challenge here. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try, put to the test for genuineness the spirits. Do you go to the word daily? Are you in it personally? So that you can evaluate what you hear, what you read, biblically. To say, is it true? I mean, we live in a wonderful day whereby study is so much easier than it's ever been. And yet all the stats that are out there, even recently published again, say we are very lazy. Biblical literacy declining rapidly. Because it's like, well, someone will tell me. I don't need to think for myself. I don't need to study for myself. I'll just, I'll just trust an expert. They know. I can look it up online real quick. Instead of saying, God, I am humbled and astounded that you have given and preserved and advanced your word. God, I want to be in it for myself. I want to see what it says. Again, not decrying the fact that we have podcasts and blogs and books and tools. I mean, they're wonderful things. But there's a lot of error out there. And the greatest tool is not go ask your pastor, though I don't mind, right? Is believe not every spirit, but you put to the test the spirits, whether they are of God. So in this evaluation, we have the wonderful resource of the word of God, and secondly, that we don't want to overlook, we have the spirit of God, right? 
End of chapter 3, verse 24, where we read in our scripture reading again, God's given us the Spirit to help us understand that He abides in us. Jesus Himself, in John 14, verse 26, said, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Like the Holy Spirit has this teaching, illuminating, understanding ministry. John already touched that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, when he said, but you, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I referenced it a moment ago, but let me read it in chapter 2, verse 27. The anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. You need that not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. You see, the God, God, through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, helps us understand His truth so that as we live in caution, we are able to have that continued confidence and assurance. Because there are many things that will come along and say, well, that's not that big of a deal, and it really isn't that way, and you need to understand it like this, and well, what about this, and well, what about that? And people begin to being led away from their steadfastness in Christ. Error is very present as John is writing, and he's saying, listen, you need to stay away from those that are going to lead you away from Christ. He's going to give the test. We're not going to jump into it this morning, but he's going to say, hey, if they tell of Jesus, they're of God. If they don't, they deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. The balancing the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, they are not of God. They're not true. We've looked at the call to attention. We've been looking most recently at the commands of caution, first this restriction, and secondly this evaluation. Third, we come to the condition. Why are these commands given? Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. As we think about their nature, I would note for you first that they are both deceptive and destructive in their nature. This word false prophets, and some of you have studied Greek, it's an original language of the New Testament, but it's not hard for any of us. The word is pseudo-prophetai, right? We know pseudo, it's like, that's fake, prophets. These are false, fake prophets. We're warned throughout the New Testament about them again. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 15 says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Like, watch out, they're there. And he actually tells us, you'll know them by their fruits. Like, it's, it's an interesting passage because that's the same text where in Matthew 7, verse 1, he warns us about judging. Like, hey, judge not that you be not judged for the manner that you measure or meet out, it'll be meted to you again. There's that caution. But later on, when it comes to false prophecy, he says, you know what? By your fruit, by their fruits, you're going to know them. Watch out for these false prophets. I think of the Apostle Paul as he calls the Ephesian elders back to him, the Ephesian pastors in Acts 20. Right? He's already left Ephesus, but now he's in Miletus, and he says, come back. And he begins to address them and to tell them that they need to feed the flock of God there in Ephesus. But he says this in Acts 20, verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, 
not sparing the flock. It's like I'm concerned because I'm leaving, and when I do, there are going to be those who come in and they seek to hurt, they seek to cause damage. Their nature is that they deceive and they destroy. But then you notice with me their number. Many, right? Many. I told you at the outset, I'll hold to it again, that if I was simply saying, hey, folks, we live in a day where there's a lot of error, and I was warning you and sharing my personal opinion, you could go, well, I disagree. I don't think there's that many. Be fine. We'd just disagree. We'd agree to disagree. But the Word of God repeatedly tells us this is a big problem. First John 4, verse 1 says, there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. We could go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And then he goes on to say, here's all the different kinds of issues that come up and how they lead you astray. You know what's fascinating as you read that list and read some of the other lists that are in the New Testament about how they lead astray? Sometimes their leading astray is, you can live for you, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Jude would say it this way as Jude warns about those kinds of false prophets. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. In other words, they use God's grace as an excuse for selfish, sensual living. It's what we need to be on guard for. Those who would say, you know what, it's okay, we live under grace. And there's a, an entitlement to fleshliness, to, to sensual, selfish living. It's wrong. But on the other hand, what we don't want to miss is that like in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, or like in Galatians, or like in Colossians chapter 2, the other way that we are led astray is to say, no, actually it's about what you do and the rules that you keep. And it's not so much selfishness as much as it is just self-righteousness, legalism. It is why there's that issue, warning issued in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you after philosophy, after vain deceit, after the traditions of the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Right? And he goes on to remind us, you're complete in him. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God has given you what you need in Jesus. Don't be moved from him. Again. I would challenge us in the world we live in today, error is abundant. Counterfeits are present. God has told us, don't be believing every spirit. Put it to the test to determine its genuineness. There's a lot out there. So we ought to know the truth. Know the truth. Know the truth. Right? It continues to stand out in my mind that uh, we need to memorize God's word, right? I won't put you on the spot and go, it's like, what was the last text you memorized? How long ago was it? We need to memorize the word. There, there are pushes today to go, well, you know what? Let's talk about theology or let's talk about worldview. Or let's, we need to know the word, Right? to just handle the word, to have it ingrained in us so that as we know the truth, we believe the truth, we live the truth, we speak the truth, we defend the truth. But it starts with just owning it and knowing it personally. If nothing else, the text this morning ought to drive us deeper into the word so that we can obey the command we're given. 
to go, God, would you help me see where error is present? Would you help me see it by just helping me understand the truth given to me in your word? Let's close in prayer. Father, we've looked at a very simple thought this morning, but one that we recognize has significant consequences if we would be led away from the gospel or your word. Lord, I do believe, both based on what you said and even to an extent,